time with you too. Uh, we've always loved uh, Faith Christian Center and, and just are thankful. I, this is a work of God. Um, you know, what God has done here and is doing here and even the future that is before you, just we're excited to be able to be a part. Lisa and I really want to thank you uh, because for the longest time, we started traveling full-time in 2002, so it's been 16-plus years. And uh, for the longest time, you guys have supported us every single month. So I want to thank you for supporting the church with your tithes and offerings so that the church then can do everything you do here, plus help, help some folks like us. And I wanted to take just a minute and show you a few pictures of some of the places that I've been privileged to be. All of these pictures, I'm pretty sure, are from the last 12 months. And if we could go ahead and pop the first one up. Um, this is from about three weeks ago. And this picture was taken in Turkey, um, right at the outset, outside uh, of ancient Ephesus, where the book of Ephesians was written and so much of the New Testament history took place. Um, Turkey today is 99.8% Muslim, uh, but there are still believers there. And these believers were from pretty much all over the nation of Turkey. And uh, we, I got to spend four days with them in a Holy Spirit conference. And it was really exciting because Ephesus was where Paul stood in Acts 19. He found a group of about 12 disciples, uh, and he asked them the question, Have, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so three weeks ago, I got to stand in front of a bunch of believers and in, in Ephesus and say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And a lot of them had not, and a lot of them did. And uh, there were people healed there, and it just some really great uh, things happened. Uh, in the next picture, this is also from Turkey. Uh, this is one of the Turkish believers there. And um, everybody that attended this conference was given a copy of Brother Hagen's book, The Triumphant Church, and uh, in the Turkish language. And because there are so few Christians in Turkey, not too many publishers have bothered to translate Christian books into Turkish because there just aren't that many, you know, people to receive them. Uh, but these were given free copies of Brother Hagen's book. And you can tell by the look on this brother's face, uh, number one, he's really happy to get that book. And number two, you'd better not try to take it from him because he is, he is holding on to that book for dear life. Uh, but he was a real delightful brother. It's good to meet him. Next picture is uh, from about two and a half weeks ago. And that gentleman's name with me is Amgad. He is the uh, owner of a publishing company in Egypt. And uh, that picture was taken at uh, kind of a public release of four of our books in the, Turkey, in the Arabic language. Um, Amgad helped to translate and oversaw those projects. And we're actually, that picture was taken on a boat in the Nile River where we met with 60 pastors, Egyptian pastors, and everybody got at least one free book and they were able to get other books and things of that nature. That was a really special, special time there. Next picture is, uh, that's the, the line of some of the Egyptian pastors uh, getting the free books, signing and things of that nature. So that was real, real fun. Next picture after that 
is um, one of the Egyptian churches that I preached in, and we had a great night there. Um, you know, Egypt is also heavily Muslim, but we saw a number of people uh, pray and accept the Lord that night, and it was just a really, really rich time. Uh, the next picture after that is, um, uh, and, and Pastor John, you remember that missionary that I told you about in Iraq? That's him on the right, and, um, and then the pastor on the left holding up, he's holding up one of our books in Arabic. Uh, that is a Kurdish pastor. Uh, holding up our book, Grace, the DNA of God, in the Arabic language. The next picture is uh, from Colombia, uh, a city called Perea. That was in May of this year that I was there. I've been there the last couple of years. A lot of great things. That church is only about four years old. Uh, where I'm preaching, the pastors were really frustrated because they haven't grown any more than they have. And I was telling them, you've got to be kidding, you're exploding, and, you know, they just have great vision. So anyway, uh, next picture, that's Perea, Colombia. Uh, this picture is from November of last year, and that is a Rama graduation in Brazil. Uh, there's more than 100 Rama campuses in Brazil right now. This is one campus graduation ceremony that I preached at. At any given time, they have around 9,500 students enrolled in their various campuses around the country. So that's one campus graduation ceremony for Rama Brazil. Next picture is uh, those are all Brazilian pastors. Uh, Portuguese-speaking pastors. That's one of our books. Actually, our newest book called Lift, Experiencing the Elevated Life. Uh, they're holding it in the Portuguese language. Uh, we have six of our eight books are translated into Portuguese now. Four are in Arabic, four in Russian, you know, different numbers and different languages and so on. But uh, they were happy to get those books also. Next picture is uh, from about uh, two weeks ago, and those are Rama students in Paris. Uh, I've, speak, I've spoken in several of the uh, French-speaking schools, uh, Nice, France, Lausanne, Switzerland, Geneva, Quebec, Canada, but this is a newer Rama in uh, Paris, and um, they were a really fun group of people. Uh, I did 12 hours with them. Uh, six hours on a Friday, six hours on a Saturday, and uh, I was tired at the end of that. Uh, the, next, the next picture is, um, these are the different countries that uh, you've helped me preach in every single one of these. These are the countries that I've been able to preach in over the years, uh, 31 countries since we started, and we have another picture here. Uh, the next picture, these are the books that we've uh, written, the eight in English on the right, but the stack on the left is probably about 75% of the foreign translations. I mentioned the Arabic, the Russian, the Portuguese. Uh, we have books in Greek, in Indonesian, in French, in Spanish, in Portuguese. We have books that are about to be released. They've already been translated. They're just in the final stages of proofing and then printing uh, in Mandarin Chinese and uh, the Maltese language. And so those are, are the books and translations on the left. And then on the right, uh, I'm sorry, the, the final picture we have, uh, those are our books in English. We've got all of those out in the foyer, out in the lobby, out to the left. 
And so if you want to get any of those books in English, uh, you can do that after the service. Uh, if you speak Arabic or Russian, we don't have any of those books with us, sorry. Uh, but we do have the English. But everything that we have done, you've been a part of. Uh, because you give faithfully to your local church, uh, you, you have a reward and a harvest and a part of everything that uh, we are privileged to do. So uh, I'm going to let my wife, she's going to sing. And uh, if you ever wanted to know what an angel sings like, uh, this is the closest I've ever heard. That's not Mercy. too much pressure, is it? So anyway, uh, Lisa, you go ahead and minister. I'll be back oh. to share the word. Wow. <laughs>
mention of your name at the mention of your name just the whisper of your name at the mention of your name Let's all stand up. Let's just lift our hearts to heaven and just you speak that name. Utter that wonderful name from your lips. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus. We thank you for who he is, our Savior, our Redeemer, the lover of our soul, our mediator, our Alpha, our Omega, the beginning and the end, the resurrection and the life. Lord, thank you that Jesus is our healer today. Thank you that he's our redeemer and that he is our soon coming king and that that name has authority and power over every name that is named upon that this earth and that at the mention of his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord, we just thank you for peace. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that chains are broken off of people today. We thank you that healing flows in this place. Mercy flows in this place. Forgiveness flows in this place. Lord, we just thank you that people are lifted. Resurrection power is at work on the inside of us, even now. Father, we just thank you that you that have begun a good work in your people's lives, that you'll perform it, you'll perfect it until the very day that Jesus Christ returns. Father, we thank you that you're for us, you're not against us. We thank you that you're performing and fulfilling your good word in all of our lives. We thank you and it's in that wonderful, majestic name of Jesus that we pray, that we thank you, that we glorify you. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Man, it's so good to be with you. Um, so glad we had the privilege uh, to come back to Seekonk and be with you. I want to help my wife here. Bless you, honey. And um, just so thankful again for Pastor John and Anita. Don't you appreciate them? And... Uh, this church has always stood for the Word of God. And um, thank you, Pastor John, for carrying on the good, good mandate, the good uh, message. I, I want to share with you today uh, on the topic of encouragement. And the reason I want to talk to you about encouragement is because the world seems to have more than its fair share of discouragement. People need to be encouraged. And you may be sitting there today saying, Brother Cook, I don't need to be encouraged. I'm awesome today. I, I mean, everything's going great in my life, and, and I'm on top of the world, and, and, uh, and, and you don't feel any need for encouragement whatsoever. Well, listen, hooray for you. We're glad. The Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice. And so you may not need to hear about encouragement because you need encouragement, but probably tomorrow you're going somewhere to work and there's going to be a lot of people there that need encouragement. So maybe you don't need it for yourself today. That's great. Uh, but there's a world of people around us that need encouragement. And um, I heard T.L. Osborne say years ago 
um, you know, great missionary evangelist preached to multitudes of people around the world. He, he, he was just talking about how life beats people up and, and beats people down. And he was talking to preachers and he said, people will drive for miles around to hear you speak if you'll just make them feel good about themselves. And we're not talking about some kind of hype, you know, just positive stuff, but we're talking about because we're in Christ. We have hope. And because God, I, I really believe what the Bible says when it says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the greater one on the inside of us. But the reality is that we live in a life where, you know, all kinds of disappointments and discouragement happens at different times. I was reading about, I don't know much about this guy, but uh, there was a coach for UCLA's football team back in the 70s. And uh, his name was Pepper Rogers. Does anybody know that name? I didn't really know that name. And he was having a horrible season. Maybe that's why I never heard of him. Um, but, but the UCLA football team was having a horrible season. And uh, he came under intense criticism and pressure, you know, from alumni, from fans, everybody. And things got so bad for him that he felt like, you know, all of his friends had deserted him. Nobody had anything good to say about him. And uh, he was at home just sitting thinking, and he looks at his dog. And, um, you know, he's thinking, man, the only person that, you know, is really on my side is my dog. And then, of course, he looks at his wife and, you know, thinks of her. And he says, honey, you know, I think I've only got, uh, you know, I, 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 he said, a man really needs two good friends in life. And so she went out and bought him another dog. <laughs> You know, I mean, sometimes life just isn't going very well, and you feel like nobody's on your side. And um, I, I'm not much of a poetry guy, but uh, the, the famed English author Longfellow said this. He said, believe me, he said, every man has his secret sorrows, which the world doesn't know. And oftentimes we call a man cold when he really is only sad. And Longfellow went on to say, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, uh, we would find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. In other words, if we could take the people that, you know, maybe have really come against us, don't even like us, and that we consider them an enemy, if we could really know what, what they've gone through in life, you know, if we could see the pain, the sorrow, the disappointment that they've gone through, uh, we would be disarmed. We would feel compassion for them, you know, more than just, you know, animosity for them as an enemy. Plato, you know, the Greek philosopher said decades and decades ago, uh, he said, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Um, we're we're going to get into some scripture, but you know, it's not far from here. A, a bar in Boston that reminded everybody that sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. 
and they're always glad you came. And I don't remember how the rest of some of you probably know all the words, but you know, there was just this idea that, um, you know, life is tough. And I, I think we've got a better alternative than a bar. I think we get to come to a church where maybe not everybody knows our name, but some of the people know our name and we know them and, and, um, and we love each other. We care for each other. You know, just this, this whole idea that we need each other. We need to hold each other up. We need to encourage each other through life. And so what I want to talk to you about today, and you can look in your Bibles if you want to, to Acts chapter 28, verse 15. Probably nobody went through more abuse... Uh, beatings, hatred, prejudice, uh, just persecution than the Apostle Paul. Um, He didn't have to experience any of that because he could have not preached the gospel and everybody would have liked him. But sometimes when you stand up for what's right, you get attacked. Paul could have avoided all the persecution, the abuse, the beatings. All he had to do was, you know, just not share the love of God with other people. But he he went through beatings. He went through shipwrecks. He went through imprisonments. And Paul, when we read this in Acts chapter 28 um, and verse... uh, Actually, let's go back to verse 14. Um, I I jumped ahead of verse Acts 28, 14. Um, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel. Uh, They had took him to Caesarea on the coast of Israel, and he sat in prison there for two years. And finally, he realized, I'm not going to get a fair trial. And uh, so he appealed his case to Caesar. And um, they put him on a ship to take him to Rome. And the ship went through a horrible storm. Uh, 14 days and nights of just the ship being battered and everybody thinking they're going to die. Finally, the ship wrecks on the island of Malta and nobody dies, everybody swims to shore. And just about the time Paul makes it to shore, uh, it's cold, it's raining. I mean, nothing was going right. It's cold, it's raining. They decide, well, let's make a fire here on the beach. Paul picks up some wood and throws it in. A viper bites him on the hand. You know, just nothing's going right. And he spends a little time in Malta. I preached there last October, beautiful little island south of Italy. Um, But he, he gets on a ship then and goes up, and he's making his way toward Rome. He landed at the uh, the, uh, harbor of uh, Naples today near um, uh, Pompeii, and they're walking up toward Rome, and here's what it says. So we went toward Rome. And it goes on to say in verse 15, the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming. And they came to meet us as far as the forum on the Appian Way. That, that location, the forum on the road on the Appian Way is 43 miles south of Rome. And, you know, I don't know if they were holding signs that said, Paul, we love you, or Paul, we believe in you. Paul, we're on your side. They probably weren't. That's more. A few weeks ago when I got home from 19 days overseas, my wife and daughter met me at the airport with signs 
It was real fun. And, um, but it just made me feel welcome. And, and, and here, believers in Rome, after all of the heartache and suffering and hardship that Paul went through, they walk 43 miles to meet him and to, to be, basically be a welcoming committee uh, to, to give him encouragement. And it says they met him at the a forum on the Appian Way, and they joined us at the three taverns. Another group showed up 33 miles south of Rome. And I love this phrase. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. Notice that phrase. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and he thanked God. Encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. Paul, we, we like to think of him as this great soldier of faith. We like to think of him as this um, unwavering, unswerving, uh, indomitable, no matter how many times he got thrown in prison, no matter how many times he was beaten, no matter how many times he was shipwrecked, he just came up under the grace of God and was ready to keep preaching the gospel. And you know, in one sense, that's true. Paul was strengthened by the grace of God. But you know what? A lot of the grace that Paul received in life, he received because somebody was there for him. In one of the Psalms, David was going through a really tough time and David just wrote these words, no one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. And I believe with all of my heart that one of Satan's greatest strategies is to get us to feel isolated in life and to get us to feel like nobody cares. And, and we have a responsibility and an obligation to one another to, to pray for one another. You know, one of the most powerful uh, two words in the New Testament is, is the phrase, one another. And if you do a little study, if you have a computer Bible program and just type in the words one another and find out how many scriptures use that phrase in the New Testament, it starts with Jesus, love one another. And that you find scripture after encourage one another, edify one another, pray for one another, be hospitable to one another. And yet the, the most... Um, one of the greatest temptations of a Christian is to look at Jesus only in terms of what Jesus can do for me instead of looking at what Jesus can do through me. And so if I am one of those people where everything's going great in my life, you know, uh, you know, we're hitting on all cylinders, we're pretty healthy, our relationships are pretty good, finances are pretty good. It's really easy to think, okay, Jesus, you've met all of my needs, now I can just sit back and enjoy this. Well, we do want to enjoy the blessings of God, but one of the great quests of the Christian life is not just to ask, Jesus, what can you do for me, but to ask, Jesus, what do you want to do through me? If I am full of encouragement, then one of the greatest questions I need to ask is, 
you know, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. I need to be asking this question. Jesus, uh, you've, you've been so good to me. You've, you've filled my cup. My cup runneth over. Whose cup is a little bit empty that they can get some overflow from? And Paul, time and again in his life, Paul, when he faced times of discouragement, he was so open and honest. Number one, he was open and honest about the times that he faced discouragement. But number two, he was open and honest about the times he received encouragement. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Aren't you glad God is the Father of mercies? Do you know that's why we can be glad when we come to church? And not just when we come to church, but we can be glad when we come to God. The Bible says, let us therefore come, how? Boldly to the throne of grace. Because God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy, we can come boldly to Him. Because God is, you know what, what it means really when it says that God is a God of mercy and God is a God of grace? It means that God is for us. He's not against us. Uh, he, he's worked on our behalf through Jesus Christ already when Jesus went to the cross and He died for our sins. And the, whole, and, and the Holy Spirit is working for us now to bring application and, and life and blessing and encouragement to us. God is for us. God is the Father of mercies and He's the God of all comfort. And, and look at how Paul describes Him in, in verse 4. He says, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now, you know what? I, I wish the Bible didn't actually say that. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. I, I really, now it's good that he comforts us in all our tribulation. But you know what I wish? I wish it just said that, you know, he kept us from having any tribulation. Do you remember the time that, um, I may have shared this in, in the past when I've been here, Brother Hagen was praying for a, a bunch of people in a prayer line one time. And uh, Brother Hagen uh, comes up to this man, and Brother Hagen says, how can I pray for you? And this man says, well, Brother Hagen, I want you to pray for me that I'll never face another problem from the devil as long as, you know, forever. And uh, Brother Hagen said, oh, okay, so you want me to pray that you'll go ahead and die. And the guy, oh, no, no. And Brother Hagin said, well, the only way that you're never going to face any problems in this world is just go on and go to heaven. Uh, because as Jesus said in the world, you'll have tribulation. Have you realized we're not in heaven yet? This, this earth is not heaven. Uh, you know, we live in a fallen world. And we live, with, we live in the midst of a lot of situations that come from the fall of man, from the influence of sin. For Satan is the God of this world. And even the, the Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we live in a realm where in, in some ways Satan certainly has some dominion in certain areas and realms of life. But he does not have dominion over you and he does not have dominion over me because we are of God, little children. 
And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have been born again. We have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We, we died with Christ. We've been quickened with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And we're sitting with Christ in heavenly places. Now that's our position. But in practice, we're, we're living here on this earth. But we are more than conquerors here. We still live in a fallen world, and we do feel the effects of this fallen world sometimes. And that's why, you know, discouragement tries to come, and despondency tries to come, and self-pity tries to come, self-absorption tries to come. But we have to maintain our identity. This is who we are. We are here, number one, we are here to be recipients of all of the blessings of God. But I'm not called just to be a recipient. I'm called to be a distributor. And when we understand that, we're not just thinking only about our blessing and our encouragement, but we want to be a, a, a conduit of blessing and encouragement to others. Paul said, God is the one who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So stop and think about this. One of the things I think Paul is saying here, that the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul, is if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. When you receive comfort from God and and peace from God. How many of you have ever been in a situation where everything was just falling apart, looked like things were going to fall apart, and all of a sudden God just comes in with peace and gives you assurance, and you have this confidence that everything is going to be okay, that He is not going to leave you, He is not going to forsake you, uh, that He is bigger than the problem. And all of a sudden, even before the situation gets resolved naturally, God's giving you peace in the midst of the storm. God's giving you comfort, confidence, assurance. He's helping you to trust Him. You know, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter, even the Spirit of truth. And, and, and the Holy Spirit has come to give us peace in, in life and, and bolster us up and build us up and, and, and edify us and things of that nature. And the Bible says that God is the one who comforts us in all of our tribulation so that we might be able to comfort others who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. God wants us to be a recipient, but then he wants us to be a distributor. And notice Paul is speaking, Paul is speaking from personal experience in his own life. Because he went through a lot of things. He knew what it was to be comforted by God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, just a few verses later, Paul goes ahead and elaborates on some of these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Paul says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. That's where Ephesus was, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. 
Stop and think about Paul's words. Sometimes I think we read scripture and we take too lightly what Paul is saying. He said, when we were in Asia, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the trouble that came to us. We were burdened beyond measure, beyond strength, so that we despaired even of life. Do you know how many people in the Bible... I'm talking about great people in the Bible. I'm talking about heroes of the Bible. Despaired of life. I mean, it's one thing to be a little bit discouraged. It's another thing to really be ready to give up. You know, Moses talked about wanting to die. Jeremiah talked about wanting to die. Elijah talked about wanting to die. Uh, Job talked about wanting to die. Paul, when he said he despaired of life, you know, there was one time when Paul was writing to the Philippians and he said, man, I'm, I'm torn between two. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? Far better. Paul wanted to quit. Paul wanted to give up. He said, I despaired of life. But all of these people, somehow, they were able to, to rise above that. They were able to, to cry out to God in their weakness. Uh, they were able to, to cast their cares upon God. You know, Paul said, I'm in a strait and, and torn between two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. But you know what he said? Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Therefore, I am confident that I will continue. The great people of the Bible are not people who didn't face pressure. The great people of the Bible are not even people that never got to the point of just wanting to die. The great people of the Bible are people who found a purpose and a reason to keep on living. And not just living at a bare survival level, but when they were at their deepest point of despair, like Paul was, they were able to, to reach into that realm of faith. They were able to reach from their, their heart toward God, and, and God was able to give them a point of encouragement to rise up above the despair, to rise up above the despondency, in many cases to rise above the self-pity and to find a purpose that was bigger than themselves. And you know what? Many times when God gave that person that breakthrough, it was through the care and concern of another person. Let me give you an example. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul has just said in verse 8, he said, man, we were under so much pressure that we despaired even of life. Go, go forward a few chapters to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. <clears throat> Paul says, for indeed, when we came into Macedonia, that's northern Greece, so Paul had left Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. That's where he said he, when he, they were under so much pressure that they despaired of life. But Paul says, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. 
We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Aren't you glad that Paul always had the victory? (laughs) That doesn't sound like much victory, does it? Paul, he just... Spiritually, Paul felt like he'd been beat to a bloody pulp. Just to be real honest about it. Look at what he says... He he says, our bodies had no rest. Do you know what happens when you get physically fatigued? We we were talking about Vince Lombardi at lunch yesterday, talking about the Eagles and the Packers, one of those Super Bowls. Vince Lombardi, coach of the Packers for many years, you know, kind of the ultimate man's man. Vince Lombardi one time said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. You know, Satan is a real persistent character. And he's very strategic and he's very patient. And he doesn't mind hitting you with his worst when you are not at your best. When you get tired, when you get weary, when you get fatigued, sometimes... You don't feel the resilience. You don't feel the, the ability to bounce back from certain hits. You know, it's one thing when you get hit, but it's another thing when you get hit and you get hit and you get hit and you get hit from all different angles and, and all of a sudden you, you're, you, you become fatigued and you become physically weary. But even beyond being physically weary, many times there is an emotional and a spiritual fatigue that settles in on people and, and, and they just don't even feel like they have the resolve, you know, to fight back. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when you lose your joy, you lose your strength. Paul said, we despaired even of life. He said, our bodies had no rest. What does he go on to say? He goes on to say, uh, we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. But there's another verse. Aren't you glad Paul didn't quit there? I don't want, I didn't come here for, you know, I, I hope you didn't come here today to get depressed. And how many of you know what we just read is, was pretty depressing? But, but verse 6, 2 Corinthians 7, 6 says, nevertheless, God. Everybody say, nevertheless. nevertheless. Meaning there's a reality to the natural circumstances, but there's a greater reality than the natural reality. All this other stuff was true. Paul was really going through all this. Paul was really feeling all this. And no doubt he was feeling confused. You know, all these different feelings, thoughts, emotions were going on. Nevertheless, God. Aren't you glad we have a God who intervenes? Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Well, I thought with Paul being as spiritual as he was, that every time God ministered to him, it would just be through Paul's personal prayer life, through his personal reading of Scripture, that God would appear to him in a vision or an audible voice, or an angel would appear to him. 
In this case, God comforted Paul. How? Through a friend. A friend came to him. One of his young co-workers came with an encouraging word. And Paul was lifted. You know, how many times have we been lifted in life because somebody uh, came and brought encouragement to us? Albert Schweitzer, you know, the great missionary doctor, he said sometimes our light goes out, but is blown back into flame by another human being. Each of us owes deepest thanks to those who have rekindled this light. See, Schweitzer there is describing, I believe, what the Apostle Paul went through. You know, there was a time in, when, when the Romans came out and met him 40-some miles away and 30 miles away, cheering Paul on as he came to Rome. And Paul, the Bible says, he took courage. Well, why did Paul take courage? Because he had become somewhat discouraged. He, he had become somewhat weary and tired and he'd been through beatings and shipwrecks and snake bites and 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 how many of you know life can take a toll on people but these people came out and they cheered Paul on and Paul saw them and took courage and then he leaves Ephesus had all kinds of problems there. He comes across to Macedonia. He's despairing of life, conflicts, fears, you know, all kinds of problems. And Titus comes and brings him a report and it cheers Paul up. We have a responsibility to be encouragers to other people. And did you know what? Sometimes the person that you think never needs any encouragement, sometimes they need encouragement. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's look at a verse there. I'm talking about the fact that even great people like Paul needed encouragement. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul ever wrote that we have record of. He's writing this shortly before his execution in Rome. This is his final imprisonment, and he's in a dungeon uh, that I've been in, I've visited. It's called the Mamertine Prison. Should have brought a picture, I forgot to. Uh, but it's a, it's a hole in the ground in Rome. It was an old underwater, underground water cistern that used to collect fresh water, but it didn't function anymore. Uh, and Paul was being kept in that pit, uh, not far from the old Roman Senate building. It didn't collect fresh water anymore, but what it did collect was sewage. Um, when it would rain in Rome, heavy rain, the sewage would back up into this old water cistern, and that's where Rome kept some of its prisoners, and that's where Paul was imprisoned in an old pit hole in the ground called the Mamertine Prison that, that would get backup sewage in it. And Paul is writing 2 Timothy chapter 4. And notice what he says here. In verse, he, he, he's talked about, if you read earlier, Paul talks about all the people who abandoned him, people who ditched him. One person said this, if you want to find out who your friends really are, have a crisis. 
And Paul had a lot of people that bailed on him. Paul had a lot of people when he was arrested in Rome and put in this pit of a prison, a lot of his friends realized, man, if I associate with him, uh, they're, they're going to think I'm a criminal too. And so his friends, you know, somebody once said that a real friend is, is the person who walks into your life when the rest of the world walks out. And in that scenario, when everybody was leaving Paul because he's in prison, about to be executed, here's what Paul writes, 2 Timothy 1.16. He says, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing his name right. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. And was not ashamed of my chain. Isn't that... Now, Paul was speaking literally. Paul was literally in chains in this prison. And Paul says, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of his chains. Well, I'm going to spiritualize this now. You know, we may not be in a literal prison in Rome. And we may not have literal chains on our wrists and all that, but chains speak of any kind of bondage. And every once in a while, Christians, even good Christians, get under some oppression, some discouragement, things like that. And when we have a brother, a sister, maybe they're struggling with an addiction. Maybe they're struggling with who knows what they might be, but, but, but they're not walking in all the freedom. They're not walking in all the, you know, d- is our automatic response just, ooh, they're having problems. I want to stay away from them. I only want to be around happy people and think. Onesiphorus ran into Paul's life when everybody else was running out of Paul's life. He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and looked for me. Blessed are those that take initiative. He sought me out very zealously and he found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Onesiphorus is mentioned two times in the Bible. Paul mentions him twice. And all we know about Onesiphorus is that he loved Paul and he encouraged Paul when Paul was at his lowest. And that Paul drew great encouragement from this friend of his. You know, there was a little Sunday school class. It was kind of, I enjoyed Pastor John when he prayed for all the kids on their way to their classes this morning. There was a Sunday school class of kids, and the teacher, the Sunday school teacher, decided to do a lesson on this guy named Onesiphorus. And the teacher was going to talk about, hey, when our friends are having problems, you know, we want to encourage them. That's not the time to condemn them or to judge them or to put them down. You know, sometimes everybody needs help and encouragement and we want to lift people. And so she was going to do a lesson on encouragement. And so she had one of the little kids in her class read these passages of Scripture. 
But when the little kid came, the Lord grant mercy to the household of... And starts looking at that name. I'm, I'm pronouncing it Onesiphorus. I don't know if that's right or not. But the little kid freezes and uh, looks at that name and real, I don't, realize I don't know how to pronounce that name. So the little kid tries to, to phonetically pronounce the name. And this is what the little kid does. One is for us. One is for us. Now, I'm not even sure if that's phonetically right, but I, I got to commend the little kid for being brave enough to try it. Maybe that's really how it's pronounced. I don't know, but, you know, it looks more like Onesiphorus or Onesiphorus to me. But, but isn't that a neat concept? To know that when you're at your lowest, that when you're in chains... When everybody else has ditched you, that at least one is for us. Now, hey, everybody in here, you could be thinking right now very legitimately, well, Tony, everything you're saying is great, but man, when I went through the worst time in my life, I felt pretty alone. I didn't have some Titus coming into my life to encourage me. I didn't have some Onesiphorus coming to encourage me. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you don't need to turn over there. Paul talks about another time when everybody forsook him. But then Paul says, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. It's good when Christian brothers and sisters can be sensitive, encouraging, and supportive. But hey, even if you've gone through... A horrible time and nobody was there for you. Nobody really gave you the kind of encouragement that we're talking about today. I want you to understand this. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus. If Onesiphorus doesn't show up, there is still one who is for us. And he... He will never leave us, and He will never forsake us. But let me encourage you to think about this. Instead of getting the attitude, well, nobody was there for me, and kind of hardening your heart, make up this decision. Maybe nobody was there for me, but I want to make sure nobody ever goes through what I went through the way I did. I want to, I want to be for somebody else what I wish somebody else had been for me. Amen. Let me share with you this story. This is a true story. There's a, uh, this gentleman um, is quite elderly now. Uh, he wrote multiple books on the subject of Christian counseling. He was one of the early pioneers of the Christian counseling movement that was basically teaching uh, people... To, to take biblical principles and use them in encouragement settings. Uh, he wrote a ph- phenomenal book called Encouragement, The Key to Caring. And, and this story is actually in this book. This, this gentleman who ended up having a Ph.D. And, and being a distinguished author and lecturer 
talks about the time when he was a very young child. And he talks about the time that as he was growing in early elementary school, he developed a, a stuttering problem. And, you know, I don't know whether it was a neurological thing. I don't know what it was, but, but he, he could not communicate in sentences without breaking into a lot of stuttering. And you know how cruel sometimes, well, not just kids can be cruel, but adults can be cruel too. But, you know, school children sometimes, you know, they'll find something about a schoolmate, you know, whether they're short or fat or freckles or whatever. And, you know, and they really just go after them about whatever. And, you know, very merciless and uncaring and insensitive. And, you know, and, and how many of you know we're hearing a lot about bullying in our society today? Because people have recognized how, how damaging and detrimental that is. But, but Larry, this young kid, had developed this stuttering problem, and he was bullied quite a bit. Kids made fun of him. They'd get in his face, and they would stutter at him, you know, making fun of the way he spoke. And he had had some experiences. One time he had to give a book report and, you know, a little one-page book report in class. And, man, he barely got through it because he kept stuttering. And the kids were laughing. And he just felt so horrible. And he had just learned. He had just learned the way to not get made fun of is just don't talk. And so he became very quiet, very withdrawn. And, and when Larry was about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old... I don't know what kind of church it was he belonged to, but he belonged to a church where their custom was to have communion every Sunday. And uh, it was also their custom for one of the young men to come forward and pray over the communion elements, you know, give thanks for the bread and the cup and so on. And he had never done it. And the reason's very obvious. He, he didn't want to get up and have a stuttering episode and have people make fun of him. And so he just had avoided it. But all of his friends, you know, all the kids his age, you know, a lot of those young boys had done it three or four times. And, and uh, Larry had never done it. And some of the adults, you know, they thought they were being helpful. They thought they were being encouraging. And so they said, Larry, when are you going to get up and pray? And, and they didn't realize that, that instead of that being an encouragement to him, that was causing him to feel horrible pressure and fear. Uh, but but he, so many people were saying, Larry, when are you going to get up and pray? And one Sunday, uh, the pastor says, well, would one of our young men come forward and pray? And Larry said, nobody, nobody went forward. And Larry said, I felt people turning and looking at me. And he said, I didn't have a choice. He said, I didn't feel like I had a choice. You know, so many people had been saying. And so Larry said, I, I, I left my chair. He said, you know, my stomach was just a knot. And he said, I came down front. I stood beside the communion table. And he said, I opened my mouth to pray. First time he had ever prayed publicly. Now, that'll make a lot of people nervous, even if they don't have a stuttering problem. Larry said, because he was so nervous and, you know, so much tension, he said, 
his stuttering went to new levels of being problematic. He said he stuttered so bad. And he said he just felt his face get red hot with embarrassment and feelings of shame. And then he said, and, and praying and stuttering and stumbling over all my words, he said, I got confused. And he said, I absolutely butchered the Trinity. He said, without meaning to, he said, I had thanked the Father for hanging on the cross. And I had thanked Jesus for raising the Holy Spirit from the dead. And so he's sitting there thinking, he doesn't know if he's going to get struck dead for butchering the Trinity, you know, blasphemy. And he's stuttering. And he said, to make matters worse, he said, I knew there was a word that you use. He's thinking of the word amen. He said, I know there's a word that you use to end a prayer. He said, I could not think of that word. And so he said, I didn't think you could stop praying if you didn't say what he later remembered was amen. So he said, I just kept going. And I kept stuttering. And he said, finally, and he said, in my mind, I was saying, please, God, what is that word? And he said, finally, he remembered just, he said, in the middle of a sentence, he just blurted out, amen, and went and sat down. And he said, I I put my head down. He said, I was so ashamed. And he said, he said, my face was just red hot with embarrassment. And he said he felt a, and he described it as both a hardness and a coldness that just went through his entire being. And he said, and with that coldness and hardness, there was a resolve. I will never speak publicly again. I will never speak in any setting where you know I could be subject to that kind of embarrassment that kind of shame and he said that when communion had been passed and time for service to be dismissed he said he'd kept his head down the whole time he didn't want to look at anybody and he said when the when the pastor was about to dismiss he said I looked up just enough to see where's the closest door And he said, because I was going to, he said, I was getting out of there. And he, here's what he said, this is what I was afraid of. He said, I was, he said, I knew that I had done a horrible job. And I knew that I had, you know, the father die, you know, uh, dying on the cross and Jesus raising the Holy. He said, I knew I had butchered that whole thing. And he said, "I, I knew one of the elders was probably going to feel obliged to correct me and tell me that I had messed that up. And he said, I just couldn't handle it. And he said, so the minister said, you know, we're dismissed. And he said, man, I bolted toward the door. And he said, right when I got to the door to push it open, he said, I felt this big hand on my shoulder. And he said, I just froze. And and he said, I thought I wasn't fast enough. And he said, okay, Larry, you're going to get it. Just, just take it and get out of here. So he turns around 
And he says, yeah, it's one of the elders. And he said, I looked up at him and he said, but instead of him correcting me, he said with his hand on my shoulder, he leaned down and he said, Larry, I just want you to know that whatever you decide to do for the Lord, I'm behind you a thousand percent. And he said, he just gave me kind of a fatherly squeeze on the shoulder and just patted me and turned and walked away. And he said, something really amazing happened. He said, he didn't feel the heat, the embarrassment. He said, and something not hard, not cold, but something soft and warm began to, it's just comfort, just encouragement. Now, stop and think about how complex, how complicated that phrase was. Larry, whatever you decide to do for the Lord, I'm behind you a thousand percent. Larry said about, he, he said immediately his resolve to never speak, he said it just kind of, just kind of diminished. And he said about a month later, they were in youth group meeting, and um, a message was given about, you know, consecrating to the will of God. And Larry said, I felt God calling me. And he said, instead of saying no, because I was afraid of public speaking, he said, I, he said God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He didn't end up being a pastor per se, but he ended up being a Christian counselor and helped thousands and thousands of people not only through individual counseling, but through lecturing and writing books and as a Christian college professor and so on. And um, he said, in, in, in this book that I, I was mentioning earlier, he said that if that man had not come and spoken those words, he said he may have never softened his heart. He may have just grown perpetually hard and perpetually resistant to doing anything like that. But, but, and, and he talked about this fact. He said, we need to be careful what we say to people. Because the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how much encouragement you feel like you need today. But, but I know that you may not need encouragement, but we all need to be encouragers. We don't know what people are going through, our neighbors are, and, and sometimes just showing an interest in other people, asking questions about people, you know, not just the superficial, but, you know, just really showing a concern, being available to people, um, just being able to speak that word in due season. Uh, a famous British pastor named F.B. Meyer uh, who had been influenced through D.L. Moody, said, if I had my ministry to do over again, I would devote far more time to the ministry of comfort and encouragement. Another individual said this. He said, we are not primarily put on this earth to see through one another, but to see one another through. And a great Bible commentator by the name of William Barclay said, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. 
Next time you're tempted to be critical, think about it. Next time you you find yourself in a fault-finding mode, you know, think about it. People need encouragement. We need to be encouragers. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for your love. God, you are the greatest encourager of all. God, you believe in us. You you gave us your Son. You've given us your Spirit. You've given us your Word. All to encourage us. I mean, not only to deliver us from hell and deliver us from sin, but to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. And, 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 and Jesus, we just thank you that, that you give us joy. You give us peace. Uh, you're for us. You're not against us. And Lord, not only did you give us yourself and your word, but Lord, you gave us one another. And you put us here, as as this one individual said, not to see through each other, but to see each other through. And Lord, I pray that, that everybody that's here today that needs encouragement, that is facing discouragement, that Lord, today they'll find courage. Uh, they will know that you believe in them. Uh, that, that we as brothers and sisters, we're for each other. We're not against each other. We're cheering each other on. We're not here to criticize and fault find and tear each other down. But Lord, we just want to thank you that, that you've made life available to us through Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray that you'll give us eyes, ears, hearts to be sensitive to needs around us that, Lord, we won't blow people off who are hurting, but, Lord, we'll sincerely care and, and Lord, by your grace, reach deep into people's hearts and lives with with love and with life and with hope. And, Lord, I want to pray right now that if there's anybody in this room, anybody in this auditorium that has never accepted your love, has never accepted Jesus Christ,